No, you were mentioning earlier about your microphone. Like, we need things lower, you know? It's nice. You know, we fit on airplanes better. There's all sorts of things that are nice about being short. Um, for, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Erin. I work primarily with freshmen, so if, if you're, like, above 19, that might be why we haven't met yet. But I look forward to getting to, to know you guys. And like Drew said, I'm continuing in the series, the Rethink It series. So I wasn't here last week because I was actually in the plains of western Oklahoma. My grandmother of 95 years finished her numbered days, and so we celebrated her in the prairies of Oklahoma where you could, like, see a tornado coming. It's so flat. Um, but it was really interesting because my great-great-grandparents homesteaded in western Oklahoma in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and so they're buried there. So it's kind of like this history lesson of the Gillum family. And then my great-grandparents are there, and next to my great-grandparents, there's another little tombstone for James Warren Gillum, who lived from 1913 to 1915. He died when he was two years old of polio. And I was thinking, you know, it's been 100 years. I've been vaccinated for polio. I'm sure the majority of you had. The chances of me dying of polio are, are very, very slim in this life. But you think the advancements that we've made in the last hundred years have been vast, but there's still heartache and there's still hardships. The things they faced a hundred years ago, we're still facing loss and things that seem insurmountable to us, right? And in all of our lives, at some point, probably multiple points along the way, we're going to come to the end of our rope and think, I can't do it anymore. I don't see a way around this. How will I ever get past this? Whether it's relationally, academically, for the next, what, it could be up to 10 years of your life if you're doing PhD work or MD or something else or post-bac or whatever. Um, Spiritually, in your career, and just like Andy Grove, the guy that we've been talking about who is the head of Intel, who's thinking, this company's gonna fold, I'm gonna be fired, what are we going to do? Started asking a different question. Like, what would someone else do if they were to come in and take over this company? What would be the first thing they would do to change things? So to begin to rethink it from a different perspective, to ask a different question. So someone with an objective viewpoint who looked at the situation, who looked at my life and what I'm going to do, what would they do? And then do what they would do, right? That's what we've been looking at. And so I hope this series has been an encouragement to you. We're looking at friendship tonight, which is a fun topic that I really enjoyed preparing for. You know, at, at moments in our lives, we are going to feel incredibly lonely. And I, I wonder if some of you right now maybe feel like you're drowning in loneliness. I have felt that way in my life before. Some of you, this is a huge transition. You have left home, and it is very far away. It could be like the plains, as different as the plains of rural Oklahoma to me. Like, that is home to me. This big city is can be very overwhelming, and the transition is huge. Some of you may have transferred in. Some of you may be seniors and thinking, you know, I really thought I was going to make better friends in college. This isn't what I thought life would be like graduating college. You could have damaged relationships that in need of repair. Or you may be thinking, I should transfer schools because there are people here I don't want to run into again. Like, it's so bad, I don't want to go to Target or Parkside or any dining hall because I don't want to run into anybody I know. Um, but God has created us for each other. Like, we need each other. We have a desire for relationships because he put that desire in our life. So that loneliness, the ache that we feel is really him beckoning us to have a relationship with him, first of all, and then to connect relationally with each other. So tonight, we're going to zoom through one of my favorite stories of friendship in the entire Bible. It's like one of the most popular 
um, greatest stories of friendship you will ever hear. So I hope that just setting the stage for this, that you will go home and you will read this story for yourself because I cannot do this story justice in the next few minutes. So you can Snapchat me. You can open your Bible to 1 Samuel and be like, look, I read it. I did what you said. Because um, that's what I'm praying, that this would whet your appetite to know more because we are going to fly. So this is a story of David and Jonathan. Some of you may be a little more familiar with it than others, but I'll set the stage for you. Jonathan was King Saul's son. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Um, who's supposed to be very good looking, I imagine. I don't know, Brad Pitt-esque? I don't know what he looked like, but he was known to be very good looking. Um, And his son rightfully thought that he would become king, but Saul blatantly disobeyed God, and God said, you know what? No, Saul, I'm taking away the kingdom from you. I'm going to give it to someone else. And that someone else happened to be David, who was a shepherd boy. Also growing up in Oklahoma, I've been around sheep. They are not the cleanest animals they're pretty gross. I mean, you see the white, the, the movies don't do them justice. They poop a lot. They're gross. They're gross. So he spent his time with animals, and Jonathan spent his time, you know, in the, with the king. And so you think this unlikely friendship, how did they ever become friends? Because also you think, wouldn't Jonathan be suspicious of David? And wouldn't David be like, oh, I'm not sure about this guy. Why, why should we be friends? But hold on. Hold on to your seats. We're going to start zipping through this. So what is it about this friendship that made it work? So immediately after David killed Goliath, most of you guys are familiar with the story. If you've never read it, I mean, English literature, you know the story of like the underdog beating the giant. It's all over the place. You don't have to be familiar with the Bible to know about David and Goliath. So Goliath was a big man. He was like nine feet tall tormented and just made life miserable for the Israelites. David comes in, the five smooth stones, the slingshot, kills the giant. Okay, so he is like everybody's hero. So King Saul, this is what happens in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 5. Now it came about when David had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. So David didn't go home after killing Goliath. He stayed, and Saul began to train him, and he, well, I won't jump ahead too much, but he doesn't go home. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So what you see here is this friendship that formed very quickly. In verse 1, you see that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. It's kind of unusual like for two guys to talk like that, isn't it? I mean, I'm not a guy, but I think the most men don't. My soul is knit to your soul. Um, <laughs> Maybe girl, I think girls would typically say that more. You're my kindred spirit. I've said that before. So this is kind of unusual for things to develop this quickly in friendship. Most of what you know is that friendships take time to develop. But I really see the hand of God in this because God alone knew what awaited Jonathan David. Things were going to get bad. They were going to go from bad to worse to worse to really bad. And so God knit their hearts together very, very quickly. And this idea of like knitting your hearts together like so close that they couldn't be separated. Like they really loved each other deeply. It says twice there that Jonathan loved him as himself. And then you see in verse 4 that Jonathan took off his robe along with his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And I would imagine being the king's son, those were like handmade for him. They fit him perfectly. What a gift that he entrusted to this shepherd boy. Essentially what Jonathan was saying there is that you will be the king of Israel 
that God has that for you. He doesn't have that for me. Like that kind of submission to the will of God is huge. That he would humble his agenda and choose God's agenda. Like Jonathan really expressed deep love and support for what God was doing in the life of David. But things did not last well for long. They went south really quickly. So David, as many of you know, is very talented musically. He played the harp, and so Saul would have him come and play, and it would soothe Saul. Well, this time it didn't soothe Saul. He threw his spear at David and almost killed him, and so David runs and escapes. And so what was happening is that the favor of the people was shifting from Saul to David because he's the one who had killed Goliath. He, Saul had put him in charge of part of the army, and the people just loved him. And, you know, we don't really like it when we get replaced in people's lives, do we? I can understand how Saul was, was feeling. God was, it says in Psalm 1, or in um, 1 Samuel 18, that God was with David and he prospered. So if God is with you and you're prospering, there was nothing Saul could do to stand in the way of that, and Saul didn't like it. So things continue to escalate, and we read in 1 Samuel 19, so the next chapter, verses 1 through 7. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. So it escalates from like, Saul didn't want him to live to like, my son and everybody with me, my whole army, we've got one man and we're going after him and that's David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David saying, Saul, my father is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on your guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. So it's so neat that, that friendship, like his loyalty has shifted from his dad to Dave, and he's like, okay, you go hide. I'm going to figure out what's going on, and then I'm going to fill you in. So then, verse 4, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hands and struck the Philistine, which that's Goliath is the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. So he's like, Dad, what are you thinking? Just five minutes ago, which was more than five minutes ago, you really liked this guy. You thought he was great. You were really grateful for how he did. And now your song has changed. You want me to kill him? And he says, why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? He hasn't done anything wrong. In verse 6, Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. So it's like, they're nipped together again. Saul's like, I'm not going to kill him. You're right. We'll let him live. Okay, I changed my mind. So like, this would be the great end of the Hollywood version of the movie, but it doesn't. It doesn't end here. We see that Jonathan took great risk in talking to his father, who was the king, and defending David to him and also rebuking his dad, being like, Dad, you're wrong. He's innocent. What you're doing is really wrong. But this peace did not last long. So the second time, you would think that maybe after the first time, David would be like, I don't really want to play the harp for you, King Saul, but he does it again because I guess you don't tell the king no. Um, so again, Saul tries to kill him while he's playing the harp, and David flees and more drama continues. So then in 1 Samuel 20, we see that David and um, Jonathan meet up and David's like, dude, why is your dad trying to kill me? What have I done to your dad that he hates me this much? And Jonathan's like, I got your back. My dad will tell me anything, great or small. 
whatever he tells me, I promise, I'm gonna tell you. And David's like, are you kidding me? Your dad knows that we're really close friends and that you're gonna tell me everything. Why would he tell you what he's gonna do for me? That doesn't make any sense. And this is what Jonathan says, whatever you say, I will do for you. So like, it doesn't matter what my dad says. I am with you because I know that God has you to be king. And then in 1 Samuel 20, verse 17, we see that Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as himself. Again and again, we see this love for each other, loving each other as himself that really deepened and sustained this friendship that just keeps escalating in the midst of all this drama. You think the Bible's not exciting. If people are like, the Bible's so boring, they've never read it. Like, this is like a hitman, a murder. This is like Jason Bourne, but, but even ancient day, Jason Bourne. Um, so this is like these, these like manly guys coming together and God knitting their hearts together in friendship, being that kind of loyal to each other. So then things get even worse. And in 1 Samuel 20, verse 30 to 34, it says, Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan. I don't know if your parents' anger ever burned. I remember my parents' anger burned against me. But thankfully, they didn't use these words to me. They used other words. They said, this is what Saul says to Jonathan. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse, which Jesse, the son of Jesse is David. Jesse was David's dad. To your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse, David, lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. So what we see here is that Saul doesn't want David to live because if David's out, then Jonathan can be king. So Saul's trying to get his own way, even though God has already said, Saul, the kingdom's not yours anymore. So he says um, in verse 32, But Jonathan answered Saul his father and said, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? And then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. Okay, so if your dad's trying to kill you, things have gotten even worse than killing your best friend. So Jonathan knew that his dad had decided to put David to death after he tried to kill him. And so Jonathan rose in verse 34 from the table in fierce anger. He did not eat any food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. So we see this connection again in David and Jonathan. After this happens and Jonathan defends him and Jonathan's like, things are really bad. So he and David meet up and they just weep. Like, there's no coming out of this. My dad's going to kill me. He's going to kill you. This is really, really bad. So David's on the run for his life. There's no place that's safe for him to hide. He's about like checking behind every, I don't know, I've never been to Israel, like hill coming out of every cave, behind every bush, so concerned. This army is trying to get him and to kill him. And so there's, there's no respite. Like he can't sleep, he's stressed, he's overwhelmed. And so then we see if we fast forward a little bit in 1 Samuel 23, verses 16 through 18, and Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, do not be afraid. Because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. And you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. So this hit man that was after David is his best friend's father, but also a part of the story that I haven't told you yet. It's also his father-in-law. He married one of Saul's daughters. So it's not just like my best friend's dad. It's my father-in-law wants to kill me as well. This component of like just being hated and not 
be, like the man that you think you should trust is not for you at all. And so at this low, low point in, David life, in David's life, when he's exhausted and frightened and stressed, what happens? His best friend shows up and encourages him in the Lord. He said, I'm here for you. I'm with you. He reminds him of the truth. God has said you will be king, and God keeps his promises every single time. He's not going to fail you on this promise because he's never failed. He will keep his word. And so in that moment of weakness, in that moment of despair, Jonathan shows up and just breathes life into David and reminds him, I'm with you. You're going to be king. God's got this. Trust in God. He's the kind of friend that shows up, not just puts like the sad emoji on when you've posted something on Facebook, but like knocks on the door is like, I saw it. I got your text. You know, what's going on? Tell me what's, what's really happening. But I wish I had like a Hollywood ending to this story. I wish I could paint it in a different picture. But the reality is, is that Jonathan and Saul were both killed in battle, that David lost his best friend, that that friendship that was so deep and intimate where their hearts were knit together so they weren't separated was really a short-lived friendship and the realities of war and the realities of life. And so I want to unpack a little bit three principles that we learn from David and Jonathan's friendship. The first thing we see is that that kind of friendship, that deep spurring each other on, pointing each other to God friendship really delights us, that we enjoy being with those people, that they are life-giving to us, they refresh us. It's like our soul is just lighter after spending time with them. We enjoy the time. It's delightful. Another thing you see, the second thing, is that those kinds of friends, they develop us. They develop us into the people that God has created us to be. Because here's the thing with friends is that they impact us. Friendships are never neutral. They're either drawing our hearts closer to God and us becoming more like God or farther away. Things are, relationships are never neutral. We are rubbing off on each other all the time. Our convictions, our character, our habits, our philosophies, our everything. We just become like the people we hang around. Even like the way you dress oftentimes. You start buying new clothes because, oh, it's like what your friend wears. And you think, oh, yeah, I think I'd like to try that too. We just become like the people that we hang around that's how we were created by God. But it's neat to see how in this time of Jonathan and David's life that God orchestrated that friendship in such a unique way because God knew what David was going to need to be the king of Israel. So he was refining David and building these things into his life that he would need, and he used his friendship with Jonathan. And when you have these kind of friendships with people, that the depth of that friendship, you realize that those are really gifts from God. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, writes that every good and perfect gift comes from God, that those kinds of friendships are straight from the hand of a good, good father, like what we sang about. But also to consider friends that may not have the best influence on your life, friends that can pull you away or have a negative influence. Another thing that we see in the life of David and Jonathan, the third thing, is that friends drive us. They drive us. These friends see the potential in us, and they really spur us on by their encouragement, by their involvement in our life, by their help, that we need those kind of friends to remind us of truth. Just like when Jonathan showed up and was like, David, no, God has said you're going to be king. Remember the truth. Remember that God is a promise-keeping God, that we need those kind of friends in our life that will drive us to keep pursuing God, to follow the path that he has for us in the midst of the chaos that's swirling around us, the discouragement, the despair. What's so interesting, I, those of you who know me know that I love the research element of these kinds of things. So one of the, the commentaries that I read was if you look at the life of David, you see that the Bible doesn't record any of David's like major sins until after Jonathan's death. 
Not that he never sinned, well, because he had a good friend in Jonathan. He was not perfect, not at all. But just asking that question, what if, what if after Jonathan died so abruptly and it was so heartbreaking for him that he had chosen to let someone else in again to that same depth, could he have prevented adultery, murder, these big things that David did wrong? We'll never know this side of heaven. Those are just what ifs. But in your life, God may be having seasons for you to be close friends with someone for just a season. I remember not long after I graduated from college, I was a part of like the freshman group at my university. The guy, the partner guy leader, um, he was a junior when I was a freshman. He died of cancer. And I just think, you know, his close friends in college, they got to walk with him for maybe six years. And that was it. That was the time period that God had for them. But we can't just say, well, that's the only friend that God has for me my whole entire life. Like, no, asking God to bring about other people into your life. You can, David could have never replaced Jonathan. You don't replace your friends, but you can create room in your heart for other people that can speak truth to you in a different way that will never be exactly like those people. But just food for thought. As you're thinking about David and Jonathan and as you're thinking through the friends in your life, like just considering that you will always need friends. You're never going to outgrow or have a season where you're not going to need a, a Jonathan-David kind of friendship. So how can we develop this enduring, risk-taking, sacrificial, deeply loving kind of friendship? Or like the question we were asking at the beginning, what would someone with an objective perspective, looking at my life and my current state of friendships, what would they do to develop enduring friendships? What would they recommend that I do? So here's some thoughts on characteristics of enduring friendships. The first thing is enduring friendship requires initiative. So we take initiative. We are people who take initiative. Enduring friendship requires initiative, so we take initiative. We're keeping in mind the sort of people that we want to be friends with because those are the friends, remember, that are going to develop us and are going to drive us. So we want to be picky in how we choose our friends. But I think it's, it's not nearly as complicated as we make it. It's like those of you who were at Freshman Connection last night in your small group could have been something like, you know, I, I really appreciated what you shared about just um, perspective and, and values, what we were talking about. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts. Do you want to go to EVK tomorrow? Like, it doesn't have to be crazy or like, oh, my goodness, this weekend, do you remember that Unbroken movie that Angelina Jolie made about Louis Zamperini? He's a USC grad. The second part's coming out this weekend about how he came to Christ and how God really used his life. You want to go see that? Like, it doesn't, you don't have to, like, ask him on a date. It's okay. It's not that risky. Or maybe you're, you've been around your life group leader or freshman connection leader. Like, wow, they seem to have a walk with God that I want to have someday. I'm really struggling with my parents or my siblings or something. Can I talk to you about that and just get some insight on what you think? Just asking. So this is just a little extra advice from me to you. Because as some, I have really great friends. But my friends, to, and Jack is one of them. Um, <laughs> but if you were to look at my friends... We are very different people, different personalities, different upbringings, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. And I think what I've learned in friendship is that to focus not on finding friends, but on loving people. To focus not on finding friends, but loving people. Because if you already decided, Patrick Mooney and I, we have nothing in common. Patrick Mooney killed me in Mafia, like, within two minutes of meeting him. Like, I, I should be, he should hate me forever. But no, it's not how it works. But if I decide we're just too different, I'm not musical, 
I'm not from Washington. I don't, I don't know what else we have. I mean, just deciding in advance that we couldn't be friends. But if I really focus on loving people and serving people, you will be amazed at how God begins to knit your hearts together to people that you would be like, I never thought we would be friends. I don't know how this worked. But that the sovereignty of God at work in your life and the grace of God. And so I would really encourage you to not focus on finding friends, but on loving people well. Another thing, the second point is enduring friendship requires being open and honest. Enduring friendship requires being open and honest about the real stuff, about the real joys and the real struggles. You know, it's like in life group of freshman connection, it's not like, could you pray? I have a midterm. Everybody has a midterm, friends. We will pray for all of your midterms. But there's something else going on in your life that's deeper than midterms. I know what there is. I know there's something, some worry that's keeping you up late at night. I want to know about that. I want to pray for that. That's how we get to know each other beyond the midterms. Because I, I know midterms are stressful. I, I've been there, done that. I survived. See, you can say, she survived. I can too. <clears throat> And in, in kind of going along with this, I'm not talking about like verbally vomiting and TMI, like giving people way more information than they want to know about you, like appropriate sharing over time as you build people's trust, but not initially overwhelming them with all that's going on in your life. So I want to take a quick detour, like real quick, and just talk about social media. I don't hate social media. I like social media. I even have Snapchat. I am so cool. <laughs> I have Snapchat. <laughs> I don't use it, but if you send me something, I will respond. Ian says, I always respond with words. I was like, yeah, I don't know how else to respond. <laughs> wow, that's cool. I, no one needs a selfie of my face. Um, you know what I look like. But part of what social media does, it's, it's used for so many helpful things. I, am, I love it. My nephews, I get to see them be a part, not be a part of it, but see what they're doing. It, it really makes me feel not so far away from them. But... It builds the sense of false familiarity, of like you know someone more than you really know them because you saw what they ate for lunch. So you're like, they must be having the best day ever because that salad is beautiful. <laughs> I mean, no, we can be envious and we compare that their food is prettier than ours. I mean, it's just, it creates this illusion that we're growing deeper in relationship with people when we're not. We're not growing any deeper. We're just gaining knowledge about what they ate or where, what movie they saw or, or whatever people choose to post on there. It gives a really foggy representation of the real life. Because how do you know what my life is really like by wishing me happy birthday and seeing my, my photo? I don't, even know my, I don't even know what the photo is called. I've lost my train of thought. So I would just encourage you to realize that real relationships are built in community and face-to-face eye to eye, rubbing shoulders with people. It, it's hard and it's messy, but it's worth it. And so feel free to like photos. I'll like your photos, I promise. But I want to know more about you than just what you post. And just be aware that that false familiarity can, can lend itself to thinking you know people when you really don't know that much about them. And then the second thing is just this idea of fans versus friends. So social media is great at creating fans but it's not a great tool for developing close friends. Fans are curious about our lives, right? They want, I have a friend, sometimes it'll be like three years later and she'll like a post. I'm like, why do you care? Why are you going back on my life? Like, what are you looking at? This is kind of creeps me out when people do that. I, my life is not that exciting. But fans are curious about our lives and fans like to celebrate our public experiences. Like, you got into med school, like, 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 love, happy, whatever. Like, 
those are fans. And it's fun to have fans. And it's fun to have the momentum behind a group of people who are like, yeah, way to go, Aaron. I'm so proud of you. But what we need is friends, a few go-to people to celebrate. He asked me out. Oh, my gosh. What should I wear? Like those kinds. We need those kinds of go-to friends when it's like the highest of highs. Like, oh, my dreams are coming true. Or the lowest of lows. Like, and after the first date, it's over. Or, you know, like, what? That went bad, you know. I never want to see him again. Um, or, or harder things, you know, your, your mom calls, there's the diagnosis, there's life hurts, and you need people to walk through life, like a Jonathan that shows up and encourages you in the Lord. Those are the people we need. So to build friends outside of social media is my strong recommendation. And do not think I hate social media because that is not true. And then the third thing is enduring friendship takes time. So make the time. That enduring friendship takes time, so make the time. Just like what Neil was talking last week about your schedule, pencil it in. 20 minutes, I'm going to call my friend. Or while you're walking home from class. You know when your phone rings, you always think something's wrong. It's like your mom. The only person who ever calls you is your mom. I always think, if my brother's calling me, who died? Oh, my gosh, why is he calling me? It has to be the end of the world. No, maybe you can start a new trend of, like, calling people and say, I just want to hear how you're doing instead of texting back and forth. And the last thing is, Enduring friendship requires a must-be-present-to-win choice. That enduring friendship requires a must-be-present-to-win choice. One of our first freshman connection leaders, she didn't coin the phrase, but she talked about it all the time, must-be-present-to-win, because working with freshmen, sometimes we hear this a lot, like, I just want to make friends. I really want friends. We have to show up to make friends. Like, if you come to freshman connection, you'll probably meet people who want to be your friend. But if you don't come, you won't meet these people. Here's the other thing. I'm, I'm really not dissing on social media, but just one last thing about it. Um, it's like sometimes our phones are like a third appendage. It's like a third arm. Um, I, can't, I should have brought my man. I don't have a mannequin, but like, ooh. Um, but it can be a real, a real distraction to like when you're with a group of people, the relationships suffer when anything steals your attention away from the group of people. Isn't it kind of ironic that we're like liking other people spending time with their friends while we're with our friends but not paying attention to our friends? I'm, I am guilty. You guys should just slap it out of my hand next time you see just slap it. I have a good, strong case, so it'll be fine. Um, but we have to discipline ourselves to rein in that curiosity of what other people are doing and be fully present with the people that we're with. So I just wanted to give you one example of this. So Rebecca, if you'll go to the next slide. So these fun friends, this was three years ago on the way to, this is on the way to freshman retreat, freshman weekend. We stopped at In-N-Out. I got food poisoning, but they had a great time. And these people are familiar to you because they're here tonight, except the one Constance is in law school, so she would be here, but she's too old. So they were present to win. And then if you go to the next slide, so they showed up for the freshman weekend. This is, we went Operation Christmas Child Shopping. We filled boxes for kids who've never gotten gifts their whole life. Went to Target, had a great time. You recognize these faces because they kept showing up. They kept coming around. They kept making memories with each other. And then if you go again, they went to spring break together, too. Fall conference, spring break. And they decided to do like a high order, except for poor Megan in the middle. But you recognize these people because, again, they decided, I want to grow along with people who are going to develop me and who are going to drive me closer to Jesus. So they kept doing it, and they kept doing it. And then the last one, so they decided to make a movie together. So Eileen is thrilled about this movie. Um, but this was their freshman year. 
I just chose some, I mean, I have a lot of pictures. I just did a few. So you could just get an understanding of these people. If I would have interviewed them their freshman year, they would have been like, these are going to be my close friends. (laughs) Oh my goodness. How is this ever going to work? And they, again and again, they showed up. They were open and honest with each other. They took initiative to do things that they probably wouldn't have done if Diego wouldn't have been like, let's make a movie. I think it was Maddie, too. Um, Yeah, together. Like, let's do this. I I mean, they just did things together. And now, fast forward their senior year, and they have very different lives because they decided to band together and to encourage each other and to show up in each other's lives. And I could show you picture a picture of a lot of you guys. That's kind of the fun thing about working with freshmen is watching this develop. And so for some of you maybe th- sitting in this room thinking, I don't think any of these people are going to be my close friends. Like, I, I appreciate it, Aaron, David, and Jonathan. I get it. It's just not going to be my story in this group. But remember what I said. Don't go looking for friends. Look to love people, and you will be amazed at the story God writes in your life, one of encouragement and blessing. So just to challenge you at the end, Three ways to cultivate in-person friendships. I would challenge you this week to write down the names of three people that you just want to say, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And then listen to put your third appendage phone away and to listen for 10 minutes and just let them share. It's been an awful week. This happened and this happened and this happened. And they may not say, how are you doing? You may just leave them like, wow, I'm sad. I'm sorry that was so hard. But just ask three people. How are you really doing? Another thing I would say is to initiate and to invite. Last night at Freshman Connection, Kelly and I were talking over (laughs) guacamole, and she turned to this girl next to her and said, can I have your phone number? It's not that hard. You can do that. Can I have your phone number? And then you invite them. Like, hey, let's go to EVK. First step is figure out a way to get in touch with them. Second step is like, hey, let's go explore places on campus. I want a really cool place to study or finding little niches on campus that you've never found before. And the last thing I would encourage you is just to pray. Right now, some of you may just feel like, this is hopeless. Like, I don't know how this would ever work. To pray and ask God to give you a Jonathan kind of friend. And to pray and ask God to develop you into that kind of friend as well. Because so often we want other people to be that for us, but God wants us to be that in the lives of other people. So I'm really excited for this series, for this Rethink It series. So when you're at the end of your rope and you're thinking, uh, I have these friendships, I don't know. I think I should just start from scratch somewhere else. Rethink it. Ask yourself a different question. What would someone do in my situation who wanted to have enduring friendships, who wanted to do friendships differently? And then do that. And you will be amazed at how your friendships will really change and become God-honoring friendships. So let me pray, and then we're going to welcome up the worship team. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you for the story of of David and Jonathan, the examples that they are to us. Thanks for how you did knit their hearts together. I pray for each of us in this room that you would give us friends, that you would knit our hearts together as only you can do in a way that really honors you and blesses you and, and really encourages us. Would you help us to be people who remind each other of the promises of God and that remind each other that that you are a promise-keeping God and that you love us. And so thanks again for just this community and what you're doing in our midst. And we just are really grateful for this team that's leading us in praise tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. If you stand and join us in worship.